right, all right, all right. Welcome back, welcome back. You know what time it is. The Fan the Van podcast time. Uh, on and on this coaching carousel goes. Um, you know, Roger Goodell comes out with the memo how we need to be more inclusive with the NFL hiring process as far as the minorities go. Uh, Flores comes out with his legal team. They said this is all just a sham. It's a ploy. Um, there's no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel right now as far as this situation goes. I mean, look at, you know, if you watch that disgrace of a Pro Bowl, which I understand, listen, you know, it's not in the middle of the season. It's not like the NBA. It's not like the NHL where you have this all-star game, right? Where it actually, in some cases, it means something. You know, like the like MLB All-Star Game used to mean it had an impact where whoever won that team, that, you know, that division, whether it was the, you know, the NL or the AL would have home field advantage to start the World Series, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, the other day, somebody asked me, you know, somebody I work with, they go, do you think the NFL has to hire minorities? Listen, I'm all for inclusion. I'm not for disclusion. But at the end of the day, like at any other job, it's the you need to hire the best man for the position. You know, on Twitter, somebody commented on because I said, "Here we go, another offensive coordinator who's never been a who's never been a head coach is getting a job somewhere." And of course, it's uh, the former offensive coordinator for the. San Francisco 49ers, I think his name is Mike Williams or something like that. Um, he's going to Miami. And somebody said, well, he's never been a head coach either. But out of all the offensive coordinators that are looking for head coaching position jobs, how is Eric Bieniemy not getting a job? I don't get it. You know, you, you saw yesterday, Houston, you know, it came down to you know, it was Flores was a finalist. Josh McCowan didn't necessarily turn down the, didn't necessarily turn it down. Um, I just don't think he wanted it. I don't think it would have been the right fit for for McCowan down there anyway to coach the Texans. Um, you know, and then Lovey Smith wound up becoming a finalist, and they give the job to Lovey Smith. You know, and some people saying, "Oh, you know, Houston's just doing this," you know, to say, "Hey, look, we hired a minority." I think Houston went with what was best for Houston. Lovey Smith's been there for, what, a year or two already as, I think, the defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. He's been a head coach before in Tampa. He's been a head coach in Chicago. So he has head coaching experience. So you can't really knock Houston going with Lovey Smith. And you really couldn't knock it if they went with, with, with Flores either. But the question in Houston is this. Does Deshaun Watson now say... Okay, I'll play now. Are you gonna? And if what? And if Deshaun Watson decides to play, are they gonna put the weapons needed for Deshaun Watson to flourish and make Houston a relevant team again? Because before all this bullshit in Houston happened with, you know, the whole, you know, massage parlor nonsense and you know the whatever else with Watson. Houston was a was a relevant football team. You know, they were consistently in the playoffs at times. You know, whether it was with Fitzpatrick at the helm or is this guy, this guy. You know, you had J.J. Watt. You had DeAndre Hopkins. You had to think at some point, you know, for all you young kids out there that watch the NFL now, you know, you see a photo of Watt with, 
you know, with DeAndre Hopkins wearing Texan jerseys, you're going to think it's photoshopped. Well, it's not because at one point, Houston had one of the best wide receivers in the game in DeAndre Hopkins and one of the best defensive players in J.J. Watt. Now, when it comes to the Rooney rule with within hiring minorities, because don't forget, you it's only an interviewing quota. You don't necessarily have to hire them. Now, you know, Tiki Barber's come out since I did the last one, and he's saying the Giants in no way, shape, or form did anything wrong. The timeline adds up, blah, 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 blah. Does Belichick get held responsible for leaking the text messages? Well, he didn't. Flores did. But, you know, Belichick, if he doesn't realize who he's texting... Does any of this happen? I think at some point further down the line, something would have came out to expose the fact that a lot of these guys are just going with white coaches, whether they have experience or not. Look at, look at New Orleans. They decide to take their defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, and promote him to head coach. Is that the right move in New Orleans? No. Brian Flores is the right answer. Brian Flores with Jameis Winston, if you can keep him, assuming he stays, that's the perfect fit. Okay? That's the perfect fit in New Orleans. You you get Michael Thomas to get his head out of his ass and realize Drew Brees ain't there no more. And he has to realize that he needs to be, you know, more of a team player and not go towards the Antonio Brown route of it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. All right? Um, You know, people, you know kind of complained about the Pro Bowl. Yeah, it was a disaster. But then again, these guys for 18 weeks, 17 weeks, however long some of these guys have played for, took a huge beating. They actually did play like they didn't want to be there. You know, the you know the Denarius uh, Leonard interception. You know, they were just like, oh yeah, just, just blow by me, just blow by me. Was it entertaining to see certain things like Trayvon Diggs line up on offense against his brother, Stefan Diggs, who play opposite roles on the field, but they lined up against each other to see that happen. Yeah, that was fun. But other than that, do we really need the Pro Bowl? And the answer is no. The skills competition, okay, then, you know, the skills competition, that's there for fun. You know, it's to see who's the best of the best as far as accurate quarterbacks. You know, who's got the best hands as a wide receiver, you know, did Tariq Hill really even give a shit in the friggin', you know, in that race? I don't think he did. Um, but if this is the performance that you're going to put out there in the Pro Bowl, then we don't, we don't need it. We don't need the Pro Bowl then. You could have the selections. You could have all that. Hey, you know, TJ Watt made it to his 855th straight Pro Bowl. Great. Good. Congratulations. But do we really need the actual game? The answer is no. We don't. I don't think we've ever needed the game. Now, if you're going to make it... Now, if you want to do something like this, and this has been thrown out there for quite a while now, instead of a Pro Bowl, you have the two worst record teams go up against each other. Whoever wins gets the number one pick in the draft. It, that's interesting, 
But I don't think the NFL ever goes that route. If the NFL is, in fact, ever going to change its draft practice and the way the draft is handled, the best way to go about it is the lottery like in the NBA, where, you know, all the teams with the worst records go into a lottery. Your percentages are changed and altered as far as who really gets the number one pick because you could be 0-18, 0-17, whatever it is now, and wind up with the fourth pick in the draft. And you could be 3-14 and 14 and get the number one pick. You know, because let's be honest, when you go back to, you know, the claims that Flores made that he was offered money to tank and Hugh Jackson now is backpedaling from it, don't be a coward, be a man. You said it, own it, admit it, don't cower from it, unless somebody offered you more money to not say it or to backpedal from it. Um, There is tanking in the NFL. There is tanking in Major League Baseball. And that's one of the issues in the, in, with the lockout. And Max Scherzer came out with this interesting tweet the other day how there's things they want to eliminate and make it fair across the board, one of it being MLB service time. Now, the way I look at MLB service time is when you get called up, you know, as far as you've never been in the major league, so you'd be considered a rookie. And after a certain lot of time, you affect the salary cap is the way I look at it. Now, I could be right. I could be wrong. I really didn't get a chance to delve deeper into it. Um, but that's one of the issues that they're trying to get rid of. And Scherzer was one of the guys who came to the forefront as a union rep and stated, listen, you know, there are things we're trying to do to make it a level playing field across the board and eliminate tanking as one of them. Because if you think for the past 10, 12 years, the Pittsburgh Pirates haven't been tanking, you're mistaken. If you don't think the Marlins have been tanking for years, you're mistaken. If you don't think Houston was tanking for the longest time before they became relevant again, you're sorely mistaken. Because they all have. And Pittsburgh still does. Because if Pittsburgh didn't tank, look at, again, and I, I know we've said this months ago, all the pieces that Pittsburgh has traded off, and look where they all are now. Garrett Cole, Austin Meadows, the list goes on. Okay? And all these guys are flourishing elsewhere. When they all could have been flourishing in Pittsburgh. You know, Trevor May, one of the relief pitchers for the Mets came out and he's like, you know, Manfred wants us to have like a good faith deal here. And he came out and he said Manfred doesn't do anything in good faith. And then Marcus Stroman came out and he said Robert, you know, Robert Manclown is ruining the sport of baseball. I'm not the biggest Stroman fan because of all the shit he's talked about the Yankees. But I will agree with Marcus Stroman on this. He, Robert Manfred is, in fact, ruining the sport of baseball. And what are we going to need? And what are we going to need to regain viewership within Major League Baseball? Because what did we have in 98? We had the summer of 98, the big chase. We're going to need something that explosive again. But you're not going to get it. And the more this goes on, the more spring training gets delayed, the more opening day gets delayed, the more, you know, are you, are, you're you not going to be able to have a 162-game season. And I've been a proponent of not having a 162-game season for the past five friggin' years now. Because as exciting as watching Yankees-Red Sox is, do we need it 20, 25 times a year? The answer is no. 
do you need Mets versus Braves or Mets versus Phillies 20, 25 times a year? No, you don't. You don't need it. You don't need 162 games. 162 games is only there for one reason. Revenue. Money. That's all it's there for. And that's what some sports fans don't understand. I get the diehard baseball fans love 162 games, you know, because they have the MLB package and they can watch every game from here to San Francisco and they're up at all hours of the night watching every single game, doing their little fantasy baseball and their little saber metrics and, oh my God, you know, uh, you know, um, so-and-so is pitching with a, you know, a 1.28 whip. Big whoopity fucking do there, you fucking virgin living in your mother's basement. All right? Um, Major League Baseball, like any other sport, has its issues. But what Rob Manfred's doing is making Goodell look like a genius right now. Because whereas Goodell is a spineless bastard in the NFL, Manfred is just on the forefront just... Being a complete fucking douchebag. You know, let's just be real about it. And what some baseball fans don't realize, you sit here and you want to blame the owners. Listen, it's not all on the owners. It's not all on the players. It takes two to tango in this dance. Okay? Both sides are wrong. But one side is trying to be more you're trying to be more proactive than the other side. Robert Manfred wanted to bring in a federal mediator to mediate this whole thing. And the union came out and said, we don't need a babysitter to do this. We don't need somebody else to decide what we're going to agree and agree on. Maybe you do and maybe you don't. But all I could say is this, both sides need to figure something out and figure something out quick. Because the longer this lockout looms, the gloomier it gets at this point. To the point where you may not have a summer of baseball. And then what are we going to do? It's almost going to be like the pandemic all over again where we had no sports. And the most ex- the most exciting part of your week is going to be watching friggin' marble counting on ESPN 455. I, for one, don't want that. I, for one, want to see a baseball season. I, for one, think that these that both sides need to get their heads out of their asses. You know, is it... I understand the owners don't want to you know, spend all their hard-earned money that they so hardly inherited from their families or inherited the team from their families. But you also have to realize to, to make money anywhere, you have to spend money. And one of the things I've been a proponent of when I've heard somebody come out and say this is what they should implement is the $100 million salary cap. And it makes it fair across the board. It makes it fair. It makes it competitive. You have, you, you, it would be a winning fight for all. And you almost have to, you almost at this point, both sides have to realize this. But you're never going to get that when a guy like, you know, let's say Mike Trout is getting half a billion dollars and yet he couldn't stay healthy last season. You know, you look at a team like Anaheim that dumped all their money into him. You can't go out and get anybody else now. You know, I think these ridiculous contracts that these players get is part of the problem in this lockout. But you, the owners, caved and agreed 
when an agent like Scott Boris comes in and he's having a conversation, well, my guy's worth this, and then Scott Boris goes to another team and says, well, my guy's worth this, before you know it, you have a bidding war, and one team's overpaying, and the other team is smart not to do it. At what point do both sides just say, listen, this is getting out of hand, and not that they care what we think, because the owners don't care what the fans think. The only thing the owners care about is the fans showing up to their stadiums and paying for overpriced beer that you could pay three times less at some shithole bar in whatever city you live in, okay? They only care about what you spend on that. Hot dogs. A t-shirt that you can get at freaking Dick's Sporting Goods for $15 less, but you'll spend $15 more because I had to buy this shirt at Yankee Stadium. Because it was at Yankee Stadium... And God forbid if you just bought it at Dick's Sporting Goods. That's what these owners love. They love you. They love when you walk through the turnstiles, scan the ticket, however much you spent for it. Cha-ching, that's already money in their pocket. Cha-ching, that's money in the pocket for the player. And so on this friggin' circle of bullshit that goes on. Okay? I, for one, listen, I'm guilty of it. I've gone to games. I've spent money at games. You know, I've I bought the, you know, the $20 Long Island iced tea or a $20 rum and coke or whatever it is. Or whatever it is. But why is it, though, that we can see what we spend? The owners obviously see it and the players see it. And you want to know why you pay three times more for a Budweiser that you can spend... You could pay, in essence, all right, you spend, say, $12 on a Budweiser. You could have got two Budweisers at your local bar. I'm just going to put that out there. But the more these players want in contracts, the higher these prices go. So everything goes hand in hand here. Okay. The ridiculous contracts, the owners have to pay it. Now, the owners have to recoup that money. So how do they recoup it? From us, the fans. It's like anything else. Okay? If you implement the $100 million salary cap, would it adjust prices from the concession stands as much? Maybe a little bit, but who knows? We'd have to wait and see. But do they agree on a $100 million salary cap? See, I think it works in favor of both sides. Because the only... With the $100 million salary cap, once you go over it, your luxury tax is higher than what it previously was. And people like, well, why would anybody agree to it? Well, it's it's as simple as this. If you look at it from this, from, from this perspective, ready? You have a $100 million salary cap. You're the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're the Florida Marlins. You're the ownership of both teams. You're Derek Jeter and whoever the hell owns the Pirates. I forget his name. You're the Oakland Athletics. You're Billy Bean. Right? And we all remember in the movie Moneyball where Brad Pitt plays Billy Bean. And he had this line. He goes, we will never compete with the Yankees in in payroll. We will never compete. If we can't compete with the Yankees in payroll, how can we compete with the Yankees on the field? 
They found a way to do it without having to spend all the money in the world. They found a way through the whole Billy James thing, okay? But with a $100 million salary cap, it's now level. Now, let's say, you know, let's say I was a highly touted free agent, okay? I'll use myself as an example. And without the $100 million salary cap, the Marlins would never be able to even approach me. The Pirates would never be able to approach me because they would sit there and go, we can't afford this guy. He's going to command all this money on the market. But if you're willing to go over that luxury, if you're willing to pay that luxury tax, you now can go after that guy. You could go after that highly touted free agent. You can go after a guy like Anthony Rizzo or Freddie Freeman or, you know, a Trevor Story. You're able to do that now. And, you know, I was flipping through something the other day. I forget what website I was on. And they're saying after the lockout that the Yankees are looking to go after Freddie Freeman. It's not a bad idea. The Braves head coach, Snicker, I think his name is, came out and said he don't think he doesn't think Atlanta's gonna be able to have the money to re-sign Freeman. If the Yankees could land Freeman, are we happy with that? Partially. Because you still have to figure out shortstop. You still gotta figure out the pitching rotation. And for that, Yankee fans, what other moves do we make? If you go through the list of free agents right now, there's some that stand out. Freddie Freeman being one of them for first base. Because Luke Voigt, let's be honest, is not an everyday is not an everyday first baseman. He's got pop in the bat, but he's not an everyday player. Pitching. Garrett Cole is a surefire ace. But what's after it? Question marks. Can Seve stay healthy? Is Jordan Montgomery going to be good? You know, who who pitches after them? You have to go out and get a guy like, if you're going to have to spend the 25 to $30 million a year, you're going to have to get a, a Clayton Kershaw. You, you know, if you can get, uh, what's his face? Oh my God, I'm drawing a friggin' blank now. Zach Greinke. If you could get Zach Greinke to come to New York. You know, don't forget, Max Scherzer said he would never pitch in New York. All of a sudden, the dollars made sense, and Max Scherzer's a New York Met. So, all things are possible as long as the money talks. I'm not saying the Yankees got to go out there and write blank checks to every free agent out there. But you should have been more, you should have been more invested before the lockout. Because now, after the lockout, everything's a question mark now. Everything's a question with no answer. You know, if they were to come to an agreement today, what are we going into spring training with? Because if we're going to spring training with, with part of last year's roster and a whole bunch of question marks playing first base and shortstop, I can tell you right now, the Yankees are going to be subpar at best. You need another ace behind Garrett Cole because Seve right now is not it. He hasn't proven it. He hasn't proven it yet. You know, listen, kudos to the Mets for going out there and getting what they needed and what they wanted. You know, how can you sit there as a fan of the as a fan on the other side being a Yankee fan and look at the Mets and hate on it when 
That should have been us. That's what you should be hating, is that Cashman talked the talk, but here it came, and he couldn't walk it. That's my issue. That's what I can't stand. Cashman's like, we're, you know, we're going to be aggressive in free agency. We're going to go after. We're, we're going to go after this. We're going to go after that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And what happened? <laughs> Shit happened. Shit happened. And Steve Cohen's over there. He was like Leonardo DiCaprio in the Wolf of Wall Street. He goes, "Hey, look, Max Scherzer, look what I found. Fun coupons," and just threw it all out there for him. You know, hey, Starling Marte. Hey, you want to come to New York? Here's some fun coupons for you. And what did Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner do? They sat there on their hands till they got numb and gave each other strangers under the table. That's what they did. That's exactly what they did. Hell, the friggin' Texas Rangers were more aggressive in free agency before the lockout than the Yankees were. You know, they're talking about after the lockout, do they try to trade Joey Gallo for a piece? I think you keep Gallo because Gallo, to me, has upside. You just got to give him a full season to prove it. Not everybody could be traded from a team and be that highly touted trade piece like a Joey Gallo and then come to New York and you expect him to be the Joey Gallo he was in a smaller market. Okay, not everybody has that immediate impact. Joey Gallo didn't have that impact the way Rizzo had it. Some people, it takes time. Others, it's just, okay, well, now I'm here in New York. Now I turn it up a bit. Some, you know, it's, it just is what it is. Um, you know, but after the lockout, what do the Yankees do and where do they go from here? Where do they go? What do they do? Who do they get? Do they surprise us and say, you know what? Steve Cohen opened up the checkbook. You know what? Blank checks for all. Because you need both in New York, you need both teams to be relevant. You need them to be good at the same time. Otherwise, it's just not interesting. I mean, if the Yankees are just out there dominating like they were for so many, you know, for, for decades at a clip. And the Mets were just sucking for decades at a clip. It really wasn't interesting. You know, and then you got the Subway Series and it's like, okay, yeah, the Yankees roll in. We just, you know, okay, yeah, we'll give them one and we'll just beat them the other two times. But, you know, you it's the same thing even in hockey. You know, like right now the Rangers are, are one of the dominant teams in the NHL. And the Islanders are subpar at best. You know, in football, Giants-Jets. Both suck donkey dicks right now. <laughs> Let's be real about that. You know, you want... Listen, I'm not a fan of the Giants-Jets. But, like, but again, you want all the teams to be competitive at the same time. It gives us more to talk about. It gives us more... It gives us something more interesting to watch. Like, now, if you were to watch, you know, the Giants-Jets playing the regular season and they're both undefeated teams, let's say, who's going to beat who? Who's going to outplay who? You know, which coach is going to nail that one move on the chessboard that knocks the other coach out of it? It, it? It's things like that, you know, and it gives us the fans something to talk about with other fans, even of, of, of opposing teams. You know, I, for one, have never been opposed to talking sports with fans of opposing teams. And I know I've said this before, so I'll say it again. I have no issue talking to, to them 
but be knowledgeable about it and just understand when I explain why your team has sucked for so long. Don't just sit there and say, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't, well, yeah, but, you know, this, 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 this. Nah, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me because I'll just, I'll just end the conversation there. Um, but after the lockout, do the Mets make more moves? And listen, I think they're going to make another move or two. They may make three or four more moves. They're, they're, all reports I read is that they want to trade Jeff McNeil. I don't see why you would do that when Jeff McNeil can kind of almost play every position in the infield. He's almost your he's almost your DJ LeMahieu type, just minus the power and the bat at times. But I wouldn't trade him. But if you are going to trade him, don't expect, don't expect a lot for him. That's all I'm going to tell you, Mets fans. If you think you're going to get, you know, some number one prospect for Jeff McNeil, you're not going to get it. Um, Jeff McNeil, you want to come to the Yankees? Hell, you could play shortstop for the Yankees. <laughs> I'm not opposed to it, you know. But as this gets ready to wind down, I got to start getting stuff ready for work. Um, you know, I just figured I'd pop on and just kind of jump on a few different things. So, um, might do one Friday, you know, maybe talk more about the lockout, see where they are at this point. Um, some Super Bowl talk. I'll give you, well, I really don't have to give my prediction because all those who listen that know I'm a Steelers fan, you obviously know who I'm rooting for. Um, you know, see what else see what else transpires between now and either Thursday or Friday, whichever day I decide to do it. Um, so for all those that listen, retweet, follow, very much appreciated. Uh, to those who haven't listened, I would start listening. Um, again, you know, always open to questions, debate topics, whatever it is. Um, so until the next one, stay safe, mask up, and as always, peace.